Welcome to Digifin Vox, the podcast brought to you by Digital Finance Media. Digifin is an online media platform covering the people and organizations using technology to transform financial services. My name is David Swifler, and today I have the pleasure of once again speaking with James DiBiazio, the editor of Digital Finance Media. We have a double-barreled episode for you today covering two recent articles, a tale of two fintechs, if you will. One, Basis, has an almost Illuminati-like model serving as a connection between a single key financial institution in each of its markets. The other, Marvel Stone, is kind of like the Borg. I'm showing my geeky Star Trek stripes here, which is assimilating distressed institutions of all types in many markets to create a giant financial powerhouse with blockchain as its foundation. James, do I have my descriptions of these companies' business models correct, and have I made them sound suitably nefarious? Uh, very nefarious, and I'm waiting to, you know, I'm, I'm getting my popcorn, and I've got a big Coke, and I'm leaning back, and I'm just, you know, waiting for the movie to go. In a world where fintech is connected by blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, that wouldn't make a bad movie. We should pitch this. Yeah. To and, and, you know, and, and, you know, you could do the, you could be the new um, the voice. Uh, movie trailer voice dude. In a world of fintech, one man was willing to tell the truth. Yes. And then nobody listened to him. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's okay because um, blockchain's all about. Uh, Connecting people who don't trust each other in the first place. Whoa, good segue. Yeah, so uh, these two companies are actually, w- what's interesting about them is uh, that they're trying to create a challenger banking-like or a neo-banking-like structure in Asia uh, where the challenger banks haven't except for maybe in China, but, but even there, I don't, I don't see any signs of what you would consider a true challenger bank in Asia PAC, uh, unlike in Europe and the U S. Well, yeah, you know, do me a favor to just to find that term for me, because that that's actually not a common, uh, description for banks here, here in the U S I know in Britain it is, um, just bring, bring our audience up to speed on what you mean by that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, There's different terms being thrown around for any kind of digitally driven uh, model that is disrupting or changing uh, the traditional banking models. Uh, A challenger bank would be a full frontal assault, uh, you know, Silicon Valley style um, using uh, data uh, and the values of transparency and low cost and simple business models. Um, and provided that they have a banking license or have the wherewithal to obtain one, there is some sort of sense that they are challenging incumbents. And I believe a neobank, or at least the way I'm going to define it, is one that is, although they're using digital technology to disrupt the industry, they are probably partnering with a bank. It's more like a banking channel, uh, helping a bank do a better job of being the disruptor, uh, often working with smaller banks to try to um, help them take on the the, the big ones using new technology. So absolutely no tie into the matrix or Kano Reeves then. Well, if there were, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you. <laughs> Very shrewd. Okay. So, um, what's different about Asia versus Europe and North America? Why are there no obvious challenger banks in, uh, in Asia? 
the US and Europe have mature banking systems. Uh, they've gone through the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009, which basically means that everybody hated banks. Uh, regulators were happy to uh, encourage uh, digital startups or challengers to get licenses uh, and you can get scale. Uh, so in the UK, uh, the most famous example is Atom Bank. They are a fully licensed digital uh, challenger bank, and they offer a wide variety of products, banking, savings, loans, and even mortgages. You've, other, you've, you've got others in places like Germany with N26 and, and, and so on. In the United States, uh, you, from what I can tell, there seems to be more preference for the neo-banking model, like Movin or Simple, where they are connecting um, a traditional bank with customers through mobile digital mobile technology in areas like debit cards and payments. Uh, in Asia, uh, we're not seeing anybody yet licensed, except in China's the exception, but elsewhere there, I haven't seen any regulator provide a license to any of these kinds of new players. Um, also, you're dealing with very fragmented markets. Uh, you don't have easy access to this kind of scale you can get in Europe or the UK or the US. Uh, and although the cost of acquisition for digital players is much lower than it is for banks in Asia, it's still a lot higher than that cost of acquisition is in the West. Um, and finally, you know, the GFC, the global financial crisis, although it certainly affected Asia, it didn't really affect the reputation of banks here. Um, people in Asia like their banks, you know, HSBC and DBS and Singapore are totems. They're, they're national symbols, um, even if they're, in the case of HSBC, uh, a London-listed private sector organization. You know, they're, you know, there's just not the same appropriate against uh, banks in Asia. Got it. Um, so, so what's the uh, potential upside for a challenger bank? It sounds like it's a pretty tough environment. Well, in Asia, there are... Um, there, there are definitely ways uh, for for new players to to make hay. Uh, first of all, you have although you have some very sophisticated financial centers in Asia, and you have some highly developed markets like Japan. Uh, you also have huge populations that are unbanked, so the whole financial inclusion story is really ripe here. Uh, you've also got these unbanked populations who are uh, very uh, mobile or even smart mobile savvy. Uh, young urban populations in many places, uh, rising middle classes, uh, and you've got governments promoting digital identities like Aadhaar in India, which is a good example. Um, and so it's if you get the right idea, you can start to gain scale quickly. Um, and then I guess a point which is not unique to Asia but would be universal is that these tech companies, uh, they really understand consumers. They understand them much better than banks or insurance companies do. Um, they know how to win customers over and they, they don't have the same kind of regulatory or compliance burdens that uh, traditional financial institutions face. Um, and I think over time, uh, as things like artificial intelligence gets more sophisticated, it will uh, it, it could give um, neobanks or challenger banks in the region yet more ways to try to excel. Got it. So who are you seeing uh, players in Asia that are that are trying to challenge the banks right now? Well, I don't see somebody like I said, I have the, 
I haven't seen any example of somebody setting up saying, okay, we've got a, a bank, we're a digital player, and we're going to take on the other banks head on. The, the only place I'm aware that there's actually been licenses handed out to these kinds of organizations is in China, where you've got uh, WeBank and MyBank, which are licensed, and they are the respective arms of Tencent and Alibaba, of course. Uh, who else would uh, you know? Who, who else would be the first to get a license in, in that country? Um, but uh, but even there, uh, you know, like WeBank, um, they came out of Tencent's you know messaging and gaming system. So they started off by making micro loans to to people using Tencent game apps, uh, you know, unsecured cash loans. So it's you know they're going after people um, that the traditional banks would not or could not or never would bother to bother with. So it's not sort of a head-to-head thing. Uh, and I think with these banks, again, the story is how do you find a new base and grow it? And that's the case for those players that I've been writing about and a few others I've been talking to who are, um, you know, like Basis or like Marvelstone that are, you know, they're not trying to take, at least not at this stage, they're not, they're either partnering with banks or they're going into, or they're trying to create something in places that doesn't compete directly where the banks are today. Mm-hmm. So are, are the Asian banks responding or are they just, uh, you know, they still moving too slow to, to recognize the threat here? Actually, uh, although there are some management teams at some of these banks that are very old fashioned, uh, Asian banks have just demonstrated themselves. Uh, the capability to be extremely nimble, very tough competitors for challenger banks. I think there's another difference perhaps uh, in, in Asia where you do have some local banks that are extremely fast and nimble. Uh, DBS is a great example. They created in India about a year ago, uh, DBS Digibank, which is basically a challenger bank, uh, a digital, all digital mobile kind of experience. And they set up uh, they were able to put that together in a very short amount of time. Uh, they rapidly followed up with another version in Indonesia. And then they forced the other incumbent Indian banks to then start mimicking what they were doing. But this is the kind of thing you'd think some kind of Silicon Valley uh, type of, institu- you know, of, of, of startup would be doing. But no, it, w- it actually came from the bank itself. Wow, and uh, yeah, so, so it's, it, it's not like uh, they're just standing still. Uh, there's other examples of this. Some of the Malaysian banks uh, are are quite aggressive in terms of trying to do the same kind of thing in other Southeast Asian markets. Um, in Vietnam, there is uh, the first banking startup. It's not really a bank startup. It's it's called Timo. It's actually a channel. It's owned by VP Bank. So here's VP Bank, which is a, a bank in Hanoi, which is uh, you know using a a Silicon Valley style mentality to create a, a channel for digital debt cards. Um, and so when you've got the banks themselves, you know, jumping out and, you know, planting flags in this way, if you're a startup and you don't even have a license, it's, you know, it, it's, it's tough. It's a little bit daunting. So um, if just curious, I mean, like, you know, we're still uh, seeing banks of a reasonable size that are not really performing that well in digital channels here in the U.S., what, what do you think, um, you know, is there something in the water out there? Is it a regulatory issue? Why, why do you, um, why, why does it seem so much more competitive, so much more nimble uh, on both sides of the equation, uh, startups and incumbents out there in Asia? Well, 
you know, having a few examples of banks that are getting it right there, I'm sure there's many banks that are uh, still very creaky. When I when I go in to talk to some of these financial institutions, uh, you know, it, it, there are cases where they are still scratching their heads. Uh, also, I think that, you know, in fintech, the tech is pretty global. So uh, the, the fin may not be the compliance rules and so on. But when you get a good idea in one, it, it's something you can you can move elsewhere. People are following much more closely what's going on. I just think the banks, after being uh, on the back foot for for the past several years uh, after the crisis, uh, with uh, shareholder problems, regulatory problems, legal problems, uh, and all their attention went to you know compliance and audits, and and now in the past couple of years they've been able to start reinvesting in their own businesses, and so they're they're sort of getting their their mojo back to some extent. Mm-hmm. And remember the you know the power of the banking license is not to be underestimated. Yeah, you know, you need to have a a banking license at some point to to be a bank, whether you're a digital bank or not. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's tons and tons of startups uh, here in Asia PAC, as well as, of course, in the West, that are nibbling at the edges of banks. Um, And I've met some of these really interesting companies that are trying to get themselves started either, uh, you know, taking pieces that the banks can't touch or finding interesting ways to recreate a bank or a card-like experience um, in ways that the banks never thought of or, or weren't able to do so. Uh, and, and so I think we'll be, you know, we'll continue to write about some of these companies. Um, we started on a, a rather cinematic note, uh, and it sounds like we'll end on it with this last question. Who, who um, how do you see this playing out? Who's uh, winners, losers? Who's Who gets disrupted here? For the startups, the big question is, what is their exit? What's their end game? Many of them will be tempted to sell or partner with a bank uh, because that's their quick access to customers and data. But if you sell quickly, you might lose out on your opportunities or you just get swallowed up or, or taken out. Uh, so that's for them the big question. Uh, and also, do you, is the bank actually the, the best partner for you? Or could you go to say a telecom company uh, or a retailer where the customers might be. So I think we're going to see a proliferation of of partnerships and and models. And some people will make the mistake of of selling out too soon. And maybe out of some of these ideas will emerge somebody who creates scale and really becomes a massive player. I think for the banks, the question is: I don't think they're really that worried about a given startup. Uh, because they're playing in, they're either playing in areas that the banks aren't prepared to go into, or they're uh, they are not yet, you know, uh, an existential threat uh, by themselves. Uh, although maybe if if someone like Basis puts together something uh, that sort of looks like a pan Asia structure, that could be something, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe that could emerge into something that's that's really meaningful for those, you know, in that consortium model or. Or a Marvel star might cobble together enough businesses that it can, at, one, at some point, stand up by itself and, and take on people. Who knows? But, um, but right now, I don't think the banks are worried about that. I think they're really more worried about uh, the Alibabas, the Googles, the Grabs and Ubers, the Paytms, the Amazons, um, and and these guys because a lot of what banks are now putting online, whether they're doing it through fintech partners or themselves. Is uh, is usually the most commoditizable bits of their business, and uh, and how much of that business is going to turn out to be a commodity, 
And can some of these very powerful data companies do something that, you know, that, that's what really frightens the banks and the insurance companies. That's where the, the true competition could emerge uh, if these other players want to, to really take them on. But uh, so far, they haven't. They've just been dancing around the edges. Thank you. Is it okay Thank if you. I do my uh, – can I do my outro uh, with with my um, movie trailer? Only if you sing. I, only if you sing. No, <laughs> oh, you do not want me to sing, sir. No, right. sir. Okay, here it goes. In a not-too-distant future, two financial institutions set out to change the way that banking is done. Stories about these two institutions, Basis and Marvel Stone, can be found in the current issue of Digital Finance Media at www.digitalfinancemedia.com, along with more stories about financial institutions, startups, and regulators. Thanks for joining us. This is Digfin Vox.